code our 20th episode in our series. That is why we want to dedicate this episode entirely to the problems of international security that await us around the corner. We will discuss climate change, Arctic arms race, nuclear proliferation and space war. I hope this episode can become a source of uh, inspiration for all of us and we will overcome this uh, security friends. So welcome dear listeners. 20th episode. Today we are very happy here to talk and we had a long way to record this podcast. We did. And yeah, I feel really great. I know. do as well, you know. I think we were here making progress. Yeah. I feel like we progressed since a the lot. first episodes. I know. Uh, and I hope we will progress even more afterwards. Yes, and I hope you're going to support us, dear listeners. And we thank you for those listening. Yeah. yeah. So today we want to make something like a special episode discussing threats to international security. And I guess it's also interesting to discuss because, you know, in 20 or 30 years or something like this, we can look back and say what security threats are still um, important and what we, you know, what we will probably solve. Yeah, I guess in 30 years, our podcast may be a primary source for yeah. historians. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so let's jump into the topic and uh, I would start with the question. So what uh, what threats do you see as the most important of our well, uh, I would say the collapse of the unipolar system mm -hmm. with one global power being the hegemon, that being the United States. Yeah. Uh, well, this situation is mm -hmm. obviously declining. We have new powers rising. We have uh, the European Union kind of separating from the United mm -hmm. States. And we are slowly reaching uh, a system where we have, yeah. again, the concert of powers. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's... We talk a lot about this, and you know, people, international, special specialists in international relations talk a lot about this, and it has a lot of implications on the world economy, you know, this globalization, sort of, like, as it's called, and all this idea that the world will never be the same as it was, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, or even, like, I guess, more 20 years ago, mm -hmm. and I guess the one of the most um, a distinct distinctive uh, features is like, this vicious competition mm -hmm. that we ad admire and you know uh, according to all th theories all these multipolar worlds they're very unstable mm -hmm. and so what kind of should solve this problem because after like when we got nuclear weapons we still lived in this bipolar system which which is believed to be more stable than Unipolar, like then um, um, multipolar system, and now we have this multipolar system, and we still have nuclear weapons, but you know, but there is a big but, so to speak, because we don't know how it's going to how it how it will turn out at the end of the day. Yeah, and the growing competition between powers yeah. is uh, very evident. First of all, the United States and China, I think, is the most clear sign of yes. that rivalry. Both countries have nukes, mm -hmm. as mentioned. Uh, Maybe it's, it makes it a bigger risk to security, or maybe mm -hmm. it makes it less dangerous because nukes yeah. will, you know, discourage you of force. Yeah, but let's let's come back to this question maybe a little bit later, mm -hmm. just specifically yeah. to arms race. I guess it's another like separate thread that you know a lot of specialists uh, try to warn people and say, yeah, you don't really pay attention to world politics, and it's it's a big deal right now. 
Um, but let's just come back to this idea of multipolarity uh, because I just find it interesting how it going to turn out with the like what, what how do you see the role how do you see the U.S. role in all of this? Uh, I think the U.S. would still like to mm-hmm. um, to retain the status of the global yeah. power, and that's I think and that's why they are deteriorating right now. As I think we yeah. discussed previously, they overextended a mm-hmm. little bit. Wanting to be, you know, the police officer of the world, mm-hmm. intervening everywhere they can. Uh, they are still extremely powerful, but mm-hmm. you know, if you spread your forces thin, yeah. you're just weak in every region. And I think mm-hmm. that's what the US is doing right now with the commitments in mm-hmm. Europe, in the Middle East, now with the growing threats with China. Um, mm-hmm. the US might realize that wow, it's not working, maybe mm-hmm. we should withdraw in some basically. Of the yeah, you're right. And I guess it's it's also important to mention that the U.S. has two enemies at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already discussed this in previous episodes, but I guess it's it's important to mention this once again because the idea, if you're going to have a war uh, with two world powers, basically in like European theater, in an Asian theater, this would be probably a disaster for the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Plus, U.S. is not capable of waging yeah. two wars at the same time. And this is what, you know, uh, a lot of experts warn and say, well, um, clearly, like, competition with China will not fade away because it's kind of structural and we just understand, like, like we already have two kind of hegemons, like, very big countries with concentration of capital and military uh, power. But then we have Russia, which is, like, very weak economically, still, like, very strong militarily. So that's why let's reach Russia the same way, uh, you know, Kissinger reached China in the 70s and proposed to cooperate on some issues. Uh, And, you know, uh, I also think about it uh, as a little bit hypocrisy in terms of Western politicians, because they say, well, we cannot cooperate with an authoritarian country, but but that's what they did in the 70s, you know. But, well, (laughs) they do it all the time. Just look at the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. It's the most important ally of the U.S. in the region exactly. of the Persian Gulf. It's yeah. a totally authoritarian state that doesn't respect any human rights or whatever. Yeah. But it's, you know, just real politics. And yeah. that's and that's really a false narrative that they do not ally yes, with dictators. Yes. I guess this is a shame, honestly. And it is. I feel really sorry for this politics. And, I mean, you should have a profound hope in Russian people because Russia is still a part of Western civilization. You couldn't deny it. Whatever you say, it's still, it has the same roots, Christianity and stuff. And you should have a hope, because people maybe one day going to turn to democracy, and you should just deal with the Russian government uh, the way it is now, as it is, because... You but, you know, if, if the approach of the Western world is, you know, like mm-hmm. the, you know, American Russophobic, or uh, especially like other countries in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe who are extremely Russophobic, then I think if there are chances for Russia to turn in democratic are very, very low because yeah, the um, Russian society will have the you know, notion of threat from the outside because, look, yeah. the U.S. is so anti-Russian and they probably mm-hmm. want to undermine our authority and, you know, attack us. So we have to be ready. So we need a strong government. Yes, this is what Putin uh, utilizes in order to oh, yeah, you know, usurp power and gain popularity because, I mean, economically Russia is weak and you need to somehow... Um, um, justify all your like, economic weaknesses through this uh, constant military and all other threats that's coming from the West. And yeah, I mean, for me, I feel a little bit frustrated because you can also f- think about Russia the same way. Uh, the same way um, you can compare, let's say, Russia to Japan in the 30s. 
mm-hmm. because it's the same idea. It kind of wants to gain its, uh, it wants to assert its power, but it doesn't have like so much capabilities. But it still has something, and this you know some capabilities it could use, uh, no matter what cost is. And this is dangerous. So would you say that Russia will be like forced to go into some kind of armed conflict? Yes, in your time. I would say this is one possibility, mm-hmm. and especially that can happen, you know, in European theater. Some, you know, small war can occur basically in Baltic states. I don't want to say Poland, but it's still uh, uh, probability because they act in a close proximity with each yeah. other. And, you know, all this latest news uh, that, uh, I guess, like, not Poland didn't say anything officially, but um, American ambassador in Poland said, well, if Germany doesn't want to um, hold uh, American nukes, then Poland maybe can do this, because yeah. Poland is really dedicated to alliance. And I see the solution to this problem probably counterbalance uh, of European powers thinking strategically and thinking together, you know, as European Union create some European uh, military alliance and just have enough power to have its own agenda with Russia. Well, unfortunately, I think there, it's hard to um, have a you know, unified mm-hmm. agenda towards Russia and the EU. On one hand, you have Macron, who, yeah. is, who as he says, he's not pro-Russian, but he, he wants a new opening with Russia, for sure. He, yeah. he sees the opportunities that there could be from cooperation with Russia, but then you have the Baltic states mm-hmm. who, you know, they're also in the EU, but they hate Russia and they're mm-hmm. afraid. There are also countries like Poland. And then you have uh, Hungary, who is basically an authoritarian state right now. Yeah. And they're pro-Russian. And they so it's, Russian. you know, the hmm, the opinions are super divided yeah. within, the, within the European Union. But yeah, I guess, but it's still, I guess, Europe, uh, as I, I live in Europe right now, and I feel Europe can be way more protected having its own military and its own kind of military force yeah so i agree well if you combine the forces mm-hmm. of the european union it's they're almost mm-hmm. as strong as the us in terms of you know capabilities and numbers yeah and you don't have this hatred you know against like russia and europe because russia and europe still can understand each other they still coexist in, on the same continent yeah, the cultural and, differences aren't that big you know yeah and you know you have a lot of economic diplomatic ties and this is the problem with the us it's, it's they simply don't talk to each other and the difference between you know american and european diplomacy is that european diplomats still talk to russia and talk to russian officials no matter who they are and what regime they represent. I mean, this is international relations. You couldn't just say, oh, it's authoritarian regime. There are so many authoritarian regimes and they still deal with them, like China. Yeah. And no one... I mean, and China is a very different culture. So it's, it's way more authoritarian in terms of society. Well, the, the entire history of China is an authoritarian yeah. regime. Even when they were officially democratic, they were still an authoritarian regime. So Yeah. So I guess war is the main concern. It should be main concern in the nearest future. And let's hope, yeah, let's hope we can avoid it. But do you see it a major global conflict or regional? I guess, I mean, for me, the main conflict would definitely, I mean, can definitely happen between China and the US. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, some they call it Entente, they call it some rapprochement between China and Russia is actually a little bit... Uh, worrying in terms of we don't actually know what they can plan together, you know, and you, they already have um, shared military exercises, which yep. is pretty intimidating. And, I mean, they actually cooperate, and then Russia builds um, 
uh, early warning system for China, um, ballistic ballistic warning system for China. And this is also something that you know un, un, unprecedented, I guess, for security to to give your technology to some uh, potential enemy also because. China, then they have never had like brilliant relationship uh, relationships only after fifties brief period of time between mm -hmm. Stalin and Mao relationships were good, but uh, after that they almost started nuclear war but, like against yeah. each other in in seventies because of like border disputes. But then uh, again, don't don't you think that at some point the Chinese Russian cooperation must stop because yeah. in the long run, China has way more potential than Russia. Right now, Russia has, mm -hmm. still has the technological, you know, edge, yeah. uh, and this is what, for example, arms uh, exporters from Russia are worried about. That mm -hmm. if we export our technology to China, they're just going to copy it, and you know, yeah. and we will lose the technological edge and the advantage. And this mm -hmm. is basically when you look at the mm, Chinese fighter arsenal, mm -hmm. all of them are copies of the SU lines yeah. from the Soviet Union or early, early Russia. So. Yes. Would you think that Russia will be reluctant to, you know, sell military equipment to China right now? I guess it's a big concern for Russia and there is a lot of probably opposition, even in the Russian military bloc that we might uh, not, uh, that we are not aware of. But I say that they're really worried about their economy and, you know, when you look at economy and the structure of world economy, they see they couldn't have access to European markets and Western markets and to, you know, to, to have good trade relationship with these countries. So the only country they could cooperate with is China in terms mm -hmm. of economy. And China is the country who actually gives them some economic benefits. And they just um, like bet on, bet on China just because they don't have any other choice. I guess this was like, you know, you, if you remember, there was a um, Financial Time interview with Putin mm -hmm. and uh, journalists asked him this question, um, don't you think you you put all uh, eggs uh, uh, in one basket, so to speak, you know, yeah. having good relationship with China and very bad with West? Then Putin answered um, kind of like tricky, in tricky way, he said, well, we don't have any other choice. We don't have something to choose from. So it was kind of like mm -hmm. um, clear sign that, I mean, Russia could cooperate with the West, but um, I guess um, Western demands um, just uh, out of the reach. Uh, yeah, I guess Russian this would, this would include withdrawal from Crimea and Eastern yes. Ukraine and possibly Georgia. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, conflict in Donbass, they, they could probably solve again without American involvement because again, American involvement deteriorates situation. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's actually understandable because uh, average American shouldn't care about uh, Donbas, uh, and average European probably should care about Donbas because it's it's important issue for the whole Europe. It's you know first war in Europe since World War Two. It's just you know I mean, it's a country which borders the European Union is basically openly at war. Yeah, which is something that we didn't see since the Yugoslavian wars. Yes, exactly. So let's hope for the best. I mean. Let's hope. We all want to be optimistic, but in order to be optimistic, we should warn people and say, look, we should think critically and don't just uh, trash Russia just because it's an authoritarian country. All these labels, they are unproductive and they don't lead to anywhere. Yep. They lead to the further escalation and escalation can lead to a conflict. Yep. Global security is more important, I guess. Yeah. So let's switch, I guess, to another topic. Which topic you would like to discuss? Maybe let's discuss the recent developments in space industry. Yeah, I guess space industry is an interesting topic. It is also important for security as well. Yeah. You know, as we know, they're going to be launch, um, SpaceX launch. 
Yeah, so SpaceX is going to launch the uh, first mm -hmm. official crewed flight ever mm, of their company to the International Space Station in late May, which is something huge. First of all, it's the first time that American astronauts will be launched with an American vehicle mm -hmm. into space since the space shuttles were mm -hmm. retired. And what is more is that it's the first time that a private company yeah. will send people into space. It's really um, updated, so to speak, space shuttle with a lot of electronics on board, yep. computers, and it looks very it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, with a lot of autom automatics involved in all the process, in the process of this. Yeah, I mean, um, for me, the question in space industry and in Broadway space development is like the idea that we could develop space only as you know entire civilization. Yeah. And otherwise, it would it would be something like similar to space war in fifties, sixties, and you know seventies. And what I'm worried about with this multipolar world, space space uh, can become the, like this the realm of competition and not the realm of cooperation as it used to be. Mm, I would even go as far to say that going back to multipolar worlds might even hinder the exploration mm -hmm. of space and space development. Because let's look at the International Space Station. Yeah. No country alone could ever construct such a project. Yeah. Even if the US, if they increased the budget of NASA to 20% mm -hmm. you know, of GDP, mm -hmm. they would not be able to do that. Uh, and I would even I'll go as far to say this is possibly one of the most the biggest achievements mm -hmm. of humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, we saw a lot of you know cooperation in mm -hmm. space, especially after the Americans retired the space shuttle. They relied mm -hmm. purely, purely on Russians to mm -hmm. uh, send their astronauts to space. And now, the Americans want to be independent in this, mm -hmm. in this uh, area. Endeavors, yeah. Um, and also looking how NASA is behind schedule of their lunar programs, mm -hmm. they are thinking about dropping the idea of building a new mm -hmm. space station around the moon. Yeah. Uh, I think the space cooperation might be you know, in danger. Yeah. So the idea here was that there would be a big space station in lunar orbit, which would mm -hmm. be built both by European Space Agency, Roscosmos, and the NASA. But, but right now they're mm -hmm. thinking about withdrawing from this idea and dropping the idea of a space station entirely. And mm -hmm. to me, it's first of all sad. Yeah. Uh, but it also, I think, it reflects the, the situation in the international arena, arena mm -hmm. right now. And also we have China, which is also developing its uh, um, space capabilities, but it doesn't cooperate with anyone. Yeah, China is an interesting example because they never cooperated with mm -hmm. anybody. Their, all their spacecraft are based on you know, Soviet-era technology, which was licensed mm -hmm. to them. But right now, they have ambitions of yeah. building their own space stations, uh, their own manned flights. They are the country which landed on the uh, so-called dark side of the moon. Yeah. So, um, I see that many countries are doing huge developments on their mm -hmm. own. But it's a shame not to see them cooperating, because imagine yeah. how much they could be achieved. But, by cooperation. But also the question with the lunar station and lunar uh, resources on the moon is uh, how they're going to be, um, let's say, legally divided, right? divided and what's, what would be the legal basis? Because, I mean, I read... Uh, I mean, the problem also with Roscosmos is that Russia simply doesn't have such great uh, economy to achieve, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. big, because it costs a lot of money. You should have this strategic planning for 10 years, uh, meaning that you should have this budget. I mean, expect to have this budget and so on and so forth. And um, what, what, what last 
uh, I read about this uh, lunar station as Roscosmos is basically worried that it won't be organized the way um, um, International Space Station is organized. Mm -hmm. So they basically, you know, we're going to have like one big company, NASA and the US, uh, operating the, the space station. Another company is going to have access to build their pods and what, they, uh, what they're afraid of, they won't get an access, like they won't control it, so to speak. So we, we, we they will just grant technologies, mm -hmm. um, but they won't benefit from this so to speak and this is like yeah and russia as you said in terms of economic situation they do not have enough money for research and development mm -hmm. so all their space technology relies on upgrades sure. <laughs> relies on upgrades from soviet times yeah if you look at the current soyuz spacecraft and the rocket yeah. they launch on if you compare it to the rocket that launched the sputnik yeah. And the R7 rocket it basically look identical, just an yeah. upgraded version. I mean, moreover, you know, they sell this, uh, like, the most, one of the most advanced Russian engines is, like, this RD-180, and they yeah. basically, they never use it themselves, they just sell it to Americans uh, and who use them, which is, I find, like, actually very hilarious and funny. But this is actually interesting that Russians, uh, or the Soviets, were the first ones ever to develop uh, the so-called closed-cycle mm -hmm. engines which are way more efficient than open-cycle mm -hmm. uh, engines. They do not waste fuel for mm -hmm. the turbines. Oh, let's not get into technical stuff, yeah. but they were basically, they invented it uh, back in the Cold War, and today it's the basis of the yeah. uh, rockets that mm, basically the Americans use, what they yeah. used on the space shuttle and what they use on the SLS today. Yeah, so it, it, it's, it's a little bit uh, funny that the Russians don't have... Uh, carriers so to speak to use these engines and you know they have this project a federation project but we never know when they're gonna succeed and when they're gonna have a prototype to um, launch into the space yeah russia has many expenses they have a huge army yeah. to upkeep and space right now i think is mm -hmm. a good priority yeah i mean but it still can turn out very different in the future they still like lead us in, in this uh, in this industry so yeah i mean I mean, for me, uh, I understand that any any sort of cooperation in space is possible and people kind of are united. And this should be collective endeavors the same way, you know, it's uh, uh, a collider in, in, in Switzerland, is endeavor of European countries and so on and so forth. All yeah. this advancement in technology, they could be made through common efforts. And that's how it should mm -hmm. be made. And also, when you look at the one of the largest uh, space agencies, which is the European Space Agency, it's an agency which you know consists of mm -hmm. like, like dozens of countries, yeah. which on their own would not be yeah. able to achieve anything. But together, they can build you know modules for the space mm -hmm. station and do the astronauts do as mm -hmm. science. And on their own, they just wouldn't be able to do anything. Yeah. And I think it's a. I think I still hope that cooperation will uh, will be still on in space. But considering the current mm -hmm. international you know relations yeah. uh, topics. I think cooperation in space will deteriorate as well. Yeah, I mean, it's actually interesting that, you know, in 75, they basically ended uh, this space uh, space war between Soviet Union and the US, even though, you know, they had different regimes, but they yeah. realized and understood that it sh we shouldn't proceed with this, um, with this vicious competition which has like it's like a limbo it has no end only war you know only when yeah, it's war it was, it's like super interesting to see that at the time when you know the vietnam war was mm -hmm. coming to an end uh the ussr and the americans could cooperate in space yeah. even though they were openly hostile on the ground yeah. which is something i can hardly yeah. grasp 
I guess which leads us to another topic. It's arms race, and that's what played a major role. You know, salt uh, negotiations and uh, yep. seventy-two, what they achieved is you know first uh, like binding international agreement in terms of like a bilateral agreement between the USSR and, and uh, the US, uh, which basically limited the number of uh, warheads that they could could be deployed. Big milestone for international relations and international cooperation, and we now in the same situation when countries develop different types of nuclear vehicle uh, nuclear vehicles that could um, bear like nuclear warheads yeah. and the thing is it's actually very dangerous in terms of nuclear weapons somehow acquire new meanings because they not only they don't perform only this function of mutual destruction mm-hmm. but they perform some different sorts of functions military functions just like they you like now they are used and they're supposed to be used in some some weapons like you know Kinjal is like I guess yeah. the, the best example it should be at the, uh, on the one hand strategic weapon but on the other hand very tactical weapon that mm-hmm. could like, destroy American carrier so to speak it has nothing to do with mutual destruction but it can gain you a very big um, victory in terms of I mean it can it can gain you basically a victory in some th- war theater and this is a huge difference when you look at the modern nuclear warheads. They are way smaller than those used, like for example, yeah. of Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Yeah. And this is because modern delivery methods mm-hmm. of nuclear weapons are way more precise. So back in the days mm-hmm. in the fifties, you were like, okay, so yeah, we can only drop the bomb, you know, like let's say in mm-hmm. the perimeter of like thirty kilometers of the yeah. target. So we need to make sure that the bomb is big. Mm-hmm. So even if we miss, but like by like ten kilometers, we'll still destroy the target. Yeah. Nowadays, those warheads are quite small compared mm-hmm. to the the ones from the you know the years before because we have precise mm-hmm. ways of delivery. So mm-hmm. I could totally see a nuclear warhead being used to wipe out, let's say, a U.S. carrier group from existence. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and which I think, and I mean, this wouldn't even be like any war crime or whatever because you are not attacking civilian targets. Mm-hmm. Everybody you kill is a soldier. Yeah. Uh, so I could totally see like you know minor. Minor, let's say, escalations to nuclear yeah. usage. And I guess threshold is uh, decreasing in terms of sometimes with like military practitioners, they're not really sure what kind of uh, what missiles, like whether they have uh, nuclear warheads or not, because we have some types of missile that can be both, yep. so to speak, dual use. And um, this is intimidating, and you know, uh, all countries right now have them. Uh, I mean, all uh, great powers, the US, China. Um, in Russia, and this is something that we should be worried about, I guess, mm-hmm. collectively, you know, we should, you know, in, for example, in the 80s, there was, like, peace movement uh, in the like, 70s, and this what, to a certain degree, I guess, stopped uh, arms race, uh, because people were pissed, and uh, they just basically said no to American news, for example, in Canada and in other European countries, just because they realized how dangerous it is to store American news and endanger your own population this way. But now we're back to the same topics of countries. Same topics. I mean, I mean, you know, the expenditures for defense are rising mm-hmm. everywhere. China, US, Europe, everybody's buying yeah. more guns. More guns, and they built uh, way different, way more advanced uh, missiles, especially like Russia. Russia is really a pioneer in terms of yeah. missile missile technology. Uh, if you read, like, you know, reports on the Russian mm-hmm. strategy, they rely on strategic and tactical yeah. missiles a lot. Which is called, like, uh, this anti-access area denial um, area. Yeah. It basically means that uh, the U.S. forces couldn't operate in this area without big losses. Mm-hmm. Right? Because exactly. of the, mainly missiles. 
like Iskander M, I guess, is like a perfect example. Of... Yeah, basically, what the user mm -hmm. of Iskander, when you when basically Russians deploy one unit mm -hmm. of those in Kaliningrad, yeah. they can basically attack Poland, Germany, mm -hmm. Baltic states with no problem without and even leaving. They are dual use. That's essentially interesting. They can be nuclear and they can be conventional. In even they, if they are conventional, they are already very devastating. Yeah, and and let's imagine that you're the target mm -hmm. of the attack and you see that there's an Iskander. A missile climbing away, you're like, and you have to think, does it have a nuclear warhead yeah. or not? Yeah, because do, do we have to put our population into you know, yeah, uh, into the underground to save this them? Is, this is you very tricky. This is very tricky, and that's why I mean, uh, I guess I want people to think about this, you know, to follow up news and just uh, people do think about some concerns. For example, yes, climate change is a big concern for everyone, but uh, it's not it's not the case for an arms race. But this is like the same kind of threat that endangers everyone just because chain of reactions can lead just to nuclear war just because some some i don't know minor conflict in south china sea yeah led, um, led to some missile exchange and one of those missiles you know turned out to be nuclear ah, whatever i mean yeah i agree with you dangerous. that people do not give enough attention to you know mm -hmm. possible security risks and military military news you, you never know how as fast it can escalate. As they have never thought about viruses as a big security threat. <laughs> no. no, man. If you, if, you ask, if you ask me one year ago, do you think that there will be a global pandemic in one year? I would tell you, come on. Yeah, but actually interesting that in 2019 they had some something like uh, exercises. Uh, I mean, American army or not army, American government, they had exercises. And they had like this big convention in John Hopkins uh, predicting, you know, the uh, possibility of viruses, and mm -hmm. uh, I mean, but still, you know, no one was prepared in terms of the scale. And, no one. And yeah. also, I think the uh, the uh, current pandemic also demonstrates something interesting: is that you know, the more the more radical leftist uh, groups who are like you know, like super pacifist mm -hmm. and anti-military, uh, I think they it might show them something because right now. Uh, the militaries all over the world are, mm -hmm. are used to combat the virus spread. Yeah, you know the you know the medical services of yeah. army are used, and soldiers deliver aid. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this shows that modern armies are still needed, and yeah. even if you do not use them for combat with other countries, they're crucial mm -hmm. to security of the state. Yeah, because you can have a you know a natural disaster. Mm -hmm. And sure, you can have the police, you can have the firefighter departments, yeah. but sometimes you need a more, you know, stronger and specialized force to I combat agree. disasters. But also, I guess it's 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 kind of evident now that it's crucial to have your own, you know, masks and your own production of these things. It's just like also interesting because I guess for a long of t for for for. For a decade, it, it was normal to have everything from China, but now we understand how yeah. crucial to have your own production. And mm -hmm. I mean, now if you say I, I, I support like national production, there's something, not, nothing wrong with this. I mean, you should protect your own country first of all. You shouldn't think about China getting rich uh, when China is hiding information and just basically behaves very badly. Yeah, but before people had no, you know, problems with buying. Mm, stuff from China and you know, huge mm -hmm. numbers because there was this idea that if China gets rich enough it will turn democratic. Yeah, and it failed. But I think <laughs> by now everybody believes that it's not possible. Yeah. So we see this movement of, you know, stop buying from China, mm -hmm. buy from local manufacturers, yeah. stop Support buying. Them. Yeah, just, you know, if you have someone in your town who produces shoes by hand, just buy mm -hmm. from them, mm -hmm. buy from some, you know, huge 
factory from China, which exploits workers. Which I personally, like, you know, personal opinion, I think it's good. Yeah, I also think it's good just because you should sustain. I mean, just the notion that globalization, you know, in a way that it, it existed uh, before, I would say, 2008 crisis is going to exist after 2000 crisis. It's just stupid because, like, the system just crashed. And, oh, it did. Like, there is, I mean, it's also interesting discussion because I saw this, um, uh, it's not a meme, but people said, I guess it was Chinese, probably Chinese propaganda, they said, <laughs> will, uh, will Americans pay for 2008 uh, world crisis? The way they request us to pay for Corona. I mean, it's a tricky question. Yes, I mean, but Americans definitely bear responsibilities for this crash. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just, um, just the greed of the you know, stock yeah, market. Yeah, they stuff. crashed the system, and so many people lost their jobs worldwide. Just not because of their own country, just because they relied on the US. Well, and the US did it twice in history: <laughs> 1929 and 2008. I guess 2008, though, was more, mm, um, it had uh, way more impact on world markets because yeah, yeah, connection to... I mean, 1929, yeah. it sort of got you Hitler into power, so... Yeah, and, you know, they <laughs> just gave so... Uh, I mean, they produced so much stuff in, in Germany also and gave money to Hitler Germany, I guess, in the 30s. Yep. Also very interesting. Well, I guess we have some a few, few topics to cover. I would like to discuss Arctics in terms of... Um, um, climate change, because I guess one of the main concerns uh, in terms of climate change is that it has an impact on security. Mm -hmm. in, in one way, it has impact, a very big impact is Arctic, and it changes, I don't like this word, but it changes geopolitics, you know, because we have new uh, trade routes, which are way more efficient than previous trade routes. We have like, a lot of resources in Arctic, and countries start just basically fighting for them, it's also a little bit intimidating and terrifying because they couldn't figure out whose this land is and... Um, it's tricky. It's tricky. But it's, it, it's the case already because we see, I mean, mainly it's Russia, uh, the US, uh, Arctic countries and try to figure out uh, the way how to live there together, mm -hmm. coexist. I mean, Russia is the... Not only the pioneer in the Arctic, but you know they have the most number of uh, uh, icebreak. Uh, how do you call it? Ice icebreakers. Icebreakers, yeah, the and, ships. And you know, nuclear, yeah. nuclear powered icebreakers, and they're very advanced in, in this region, just because of, I mean, obviously ter their territory. Yeah. And they have a lot of like part of Arctic is just like Russian territory, and it makes sense that they put a lot of, a lot of efforts. But it's interesting how it's perceived, as we you know we thought well. We don't have a lot of territory to to fight for, but now we have something, and this is also somehow correspond to this multipolar world, to this uh, nuclear instability, so to speak. You know, have you have you any have you had any thoughts about that? The climate change and geopolitics is a super interesting topic mm -hmm. because uh, the climate change might might actually benefit some countries. Yeah. For example, if you look at China, China basically mm -hmm. relies on exports, on its uh, economic mm -hmm. power. And right now, let's say you want to send a ship from China yeah. with goods to Europe. Uh, let's say you want to reach Great Britain. Mm -hmm. You send a ship uh, from mainland China, mm -hmm. you go, you have to swim uh, through, the in through Indonesia, then navigate around India, mm -hmm. then either go through Suez Canal or swim around mm -hmm. Africa. 
But now let's imagine that the global temperature rises and the ice mm -hmm. caps in the north melt. Mm -hmm. China then has a complete new route to get into yeah. Europe. And it's way faster mm -hmm. and it's way more efficient if you have no yeah. ice caps in the north. So yeah. this may, you know, basically globally everybody says, yes, we're committed mm -hmm. to stopping the climate change. But maybe for countries such as like China... Maybe it's I mean, not beneficial to stop the climate change. You know, we know that world capitalism is greedy. It's not, but it benefits not only China, but mainly all European countries because they all have routes with connection. I mean, they all have some trade with China. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. You know, even Denmark, Sweden, Germany, and all countries basically, all European countries benefit from them. The only one who doesn't benefit from them is the US, honestly, and that's why they're so worried. And they also doesn't they also like the US doesn't have a control over the Arctic and nobody they, has nobody has but uh, there's some countries that are very successful and I mean Russia controls this uh, uh, how it's called like north route well they have their shoreline along yeah they have the very firm I would say it's it's firm control because it, like now route that they have uh, that they have is is basically into Russian economic zone goes uh, through Russian economic zone and that's why Russia, I mean, feels great about this because they're gonna earn a lot of money, and it's 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 for them it's really good, and the way, and it's also why probably they cooperate with China because they want to earn money through this route, which is just sad that something as basic as climate can be a matter of yeah. politics. But I mean, we shouldn't take our world for granted. Oh, I guess no. absolutely not. The mistake of uh, pre-crisis. 2008 crisis was that our world going to be the same for eternity and this is the same idea as uh, the end of history you know we're just like going to leave the way we live right now i mean when you look at history people always thought that took the reality for granted like after world war one everybody said okay this yeah. was the war to end all <laughs> wars and we'll have no more you know global mm -hmm. conflicts Oh, well, it didn't work out. And it I think people really too often take reality for granted, even though there's historical evidence that world changes, even when you don't expect it. It changes rapidly. Okay, I guess uh, we covered the Arctic. I guess we did. The last topic, uh, maybe let's talk about nuclear proliferation, mm -hmm. something that we also covered in our episodes. And we have, I mean, the worst case scenario is that Iran is going to get the bomb. I guess it's almost... Sooner or later, they will. Yeah, I mean, and this means, you know, the complete change of um, prolifer nuclear pro proliferation in Middle East, because once um, Iran gets bombed, all other countries are going to say, well, now we need our own bomb, and it's going to be probably Saudi Arabia, and some other countries are going to worry about, well, maybe I should get my own bomb as well, you know. And this is something that, um, I mean, it's not so terrifying, because... Um, you know, proliferation of nuclear weapons, the way it 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 is controlled now, probably gonna, you know, this the regime gonna fade away, and probably we're gonna end up with a world where more powers gonna get nuclear weapons mm -hmm. eventually. I guess this is also the problem, probably, of nuclear non-proliferation treaty and just regime. It doesn't. It kind of like stops the time in terms of you know, you can get like really advanced powers like. Germany, let's say Brazil, even India back then, um, which like are not allowed to develop their nuclear weapons, but even though they're probably responsible actors and they probably have uh, probably have big influence, right? You know, to have yep. these weapons, why not? Um, 
Well, Germany is a tricky question. Germany, first of all, yeah. they do not want nuclear weapons right now. I mean, no one wanted to give them this right, so... <laughs> yeah, history. But you know. no, it's very different now when we have this. I mean, Germany doesn't really want to have, I guess, the, its own nuclear weapons. And it's uh, tricky. Especially if they oppose stationing of American nukes yeah. in Germany, then why would they want their own, right? I mean, there is this concept of Euronukes that's going to be developed um, um, commonly with France. Like, yeah, I think France right now wants to be the major nuclear force in the yeah, EU. I mean, they're very advanced and I mean, yeah, very potent. If you look uh, at the redistribution of nuclear energy in Europe, I guess almost sixty percent goes to France. It's, it's actually and impressive. Germany is actually also moving away from mm -hmm. nuclear energy because they're very worried after Fukushima and Chernobyl. <laughs> I mean, which I don't really understand because it's definitely, you know, sun works on the same principle and basis. Why would you um, confront and, and just try to prevent this scenario for the future of generations? I mean, you know, still nuclear energy is the most efficient we have. And the most clean, I mean, one of, the most, clean. one of the most clean. Uh, you know, it's just, you have to store the nuclear waste, which is yeah. really doesn't take up too much mm -hmm. space. But people were afraid after, you know, those disasters. Very afraid, especially Germany. But uh, for me, I guess it's it's um, it's the promise of humanity to have, uh, to develop. And we just need to put a lot of efforts, I guess, and what scientists do in order to develop safer nuclear reactors and new generation nuclear reactors. And, and in terms of energy, uh, in terms of nuclear energy, it's still super efficient. Mm -hmm. But in the current legal, you know, legal framework, framework it's expensive because mm -hmm. you need to spend a lot of money for security measures. Yeah, and sometimes it's just more beneficial to build you know, mm -hmm. a wind farm instead of a nuclear power plant because yeah. you have to spend so much money on, uh, you know, yeah. safety measures that is just not beneficial. I guess mm -hmm. we will cover this in a different episode yeah. dedicated totally to energy because it's a huge it's topic very globally. very huge topic. It's a huge topic globally and it's important for international relations. But you couldn't, I mean, the, the thing is you couldn't rely on this uh, renewable sources so you couldn't just build your energy supplies just from, um, how do you call them again, uh, renewable sources. You yeah. should have some other sources just because the system is unstable and it just like, like every specialist in this field gonna say you this, but when you go to some climate activists, they just say no. It's it's you know we should you should be dependent on solar energy, which is not a very. Well, I know some I know some <laughs> experts who say that it's possible to have a hundred percent renewable energy, but it's not reliable. It's, it's not super. I guess we'll cover this in a yeah. different okay. episode. I guess. I guess we covered everything that we wanted. Yes, at this special episode. And thanks for listening to us. As always. Subscribe to our uh, Spotify uh, channels on different platforms. Spotify. And YouTube, Spotify, YouTube. SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, yeah. everything. You and can, Twitter. Don't yes. forget Twitter. Yeah, uh, you can engage with us actually on Twitter and we really promote. If you want to have some kind of conversation about topics that we cover, just uh, shoot us uh, a message on Twitter. And if you want some you know, news that you don't get from your mainstream news, also Twitter. Twitter. And... Yeah, uh, stay safe. And hear from you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>